Well, good morning, beloved. Good morning to all of you. I bring you greetings from Fresno, California, where it's about 50 degrees warmer. But I love this weather, but even more so. I really do, Anna, but I love you. I thank God for you. What a joy to be back with you while Pastor Dale and Marcia take a little break. I thank God that you invite me back. I'm always surprised that you do, but I thank you. I love your pastor, I love his family, and I love how you love him. Not just in the way you treat him when he's here, but the empowering that you do as he ministers with me in Jaron Ministries, as we minister all around the world together. Sometimes he separates from me. He's going to be going to the Philippines here soon. I'll be off to Italy in a couple of weeks. But I want to tell you, God is blessing Jaron Ministries because of men like Pastor Dale as we equip and train pastors all over the world. They are so needy, and I thank you for your ministry to Dale and to Jaron Ministries. Well, I want to say Happy New Year to all of you as well. What a blessing to be here with you on that. Uh, Most cultures have a special way of ushering in a new year. If I could pick us all up and take us to the land of Korea today, on New Year's Eve, we would all list out our sins on a piece of paper. We'd then attach it to a kite, We'd fly that kite high into the air, and in order to atone for our sins, we simply cut the string. Don't you wish it was that easy to deal with sin? I'd then pick us up and take us to the land of Japan. We'd go into a temple there, we'd list out our sins, and we'd ring a bell as well to atone for our sins. Most cultures recognize the need to deal with sin at the beginning of a new year, with the exception of America. Instead of dealing with sin, we just add to the pile at the end of the year. And we sing this strange song, Old Lang Syne. What in the world does that song mean? Old Lang Syne. And then we make these silly resolutions. We've all done it. We've all said, I'm going to read through the Bible starting in Genesis chapter 1. And we get to about the middle of Leviticus. So I've decided this year to have some reasonable resolutions. For example, this year I've resolved to gain weight. (laughs) To stop exercising. To, To read less. To watch more television. And to procrastinate more starting tomorrow. As many of you know, I'm Italian through and through. In fact, as I said, I leave for Italy in a couple of weeks to Rome and Naples, ministering to hundreds of pastors there. What a joy for my wife and I to do that this year. But I love the way the Italians celebrate New Year's in some parts of Italy, even today. Your relatives are invited over, and at the stroke of midnight, every member of the family is allowed to open a window and throw out anything that got on their nerves for the last year. Imagine the possibilities. That old computer that keeps crashing. Your wife's cat. Your husband's grubby golf shirt. Your mother-in-law's poodle. Your mother-in-law. But you know, God has an even better idea for ushering in a new year. Here in our Bibles, and in particular in the Old Testament... God has a way of beginning that, that, frankly, is even more exciting than throwing out the cat. It's a hard one to beat, but he really does have a better idea. 
And he calls us to begin a new year as a time of reflecting, a time of repenting, and a time of rejoicing. Three words, reflecting, repenting, and rejoicing. Say those with me, please. Reflecting, repenting, and rejoicing. Now, obviously, I'm not Jewish, though I get mistaken as such many times when I travel overseas. But I am a born-again Christian. I'm not obligated to keep the ceremonial laws given to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, but I certainly am obligated to pay attention to why God gave them. And I'm obligated to take the principles from those feasts and those celebrations, and especially to prepare in my own coming of a new year. Isn't it amazing? We're starting not just a new year, we're starting a new decade. Seems like yesterday that we were storing up 50 pounds of lima beans. Seems like yesterday that somehow we we're worried that there was going to be such a catastrophic event that, that you know, we'd all be, you know, without wood and without, without heat and without whatever. You know, and yet here we are, still alive by the grace of God. I need to give you a little background. See, in Jewish culture, there's not just one calendar but two. They have a religious calendar and they have a civil calendar. The religious calendar begins in the spring, in the Hebrew month of Nisan. It's roughly around our March or April, right around our Easter time. But then, in the seventh month of the Jewish religious calendar, becomes the beginning of the Jewish civil calendar, in the Hebrew month of Tishri, uh, which is about September, maybe October or so of our calendar. So that the first day of the civil year is in Hebrew called Rosh Hashanah. Everybody say Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. It means the head of the year. And it's obvious as to why that would be in Jewish culture, that it would be the seventh month of the religious calendar that would form the significant day of Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year of the civil calendar, because the seventh of everything is important in Jewish culture. Every seventh day is the Sabbath. Every seventh year is a Sabbath year. The end of a Sabbath year begins the Jubilee year and so forth. So it makes sense that in the seventh month, in the first day of that seventh month of the religious calendar, would begin the Rosh Hashanah and the civil calendar. And with all that in mind now, I want you to turn to the third book of the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus. Page 88, if you will, in your NIV Bible that you have in the chairs in front of you. Leviticus chapter 23. The Lord is speaking to Moses, and he says this, Leviticus 23, verse 23 through 25. Say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, now it makes sense, you are to have a day of rest, literally a, a, a Sabbath, in Hebrew a Shabbat, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular works, but present an offering made to the Lord by fire. One of my practices for well over now 35 years is at the end of every year to take some time where I just sit with a piece of paper and reflect on the goodness of God. I've done this for three and a half decades. And it's quite an exercise, and it's not always easy to do because I don't necessarily journal, though I think that's a wonderful practice, but I I don't do that. So I have to kind of trace back through my calendar. I look through all the events and, and reflect not only on the goodness of God, but those people that have been God's goodness with skin on. 
In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, it says, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is one word spoken in a right circumstance. There are people throughout that year that God has used to speak a word to me that perhaps brought me out of a discouragement or brought me into a a newer chapter or a better attitude or whatever it might be. And I have now a list of about 14 people. It's not necessarily people I know even well. It might have been a letter I received. It might have been one of you here in Chicagoland. The bottom line is God has used people in all of our lives. I'll narrow it down to three, and I'll write them all a letter. Again, I've done this for three and a half decades, in which I say thank you for being my God-given people of the year. I'd love for you to do that. Can you imagine what would happen if you just got a note from somebody saying thank you for that word, thank you for that encouragement, thank you for that gift, thank you for that timely timely ministry in my life. That's exactly what God is calling the people of God to do in this Rosh Hashanah, in this Leviticus 23 instruction. He wants them to be reflecting on the goodness of God and to do it on the first day, that day that he calls the Shabbat, the Sabbath. Now, I need to explain something. In our mind, a Sabbath is kind of like a Sunday going to meeting day. You know, you may do it on Saturday, you may do it on Sunday, you may do it midweek, and and you go to church for an hour, maybe even an hour and a half, and then you run home, you eat your lunch or your dinner, you flip through channels and say, I'm done, and you move on with your week. But that's not why God designed the Shabbat. Uh, The Word simply calls us to do more than just go to church or gather with people. It calls us to reflect and to delight in the goodness of God to reflect on the majesty of God in our lives and to recognize his goodness and delight in it. And that's why, even in Judaism today, the Sabbath is called a day of delight. Everybody say a day of delight. You know Psalm 37, verse 4. Read it with me, everybody. Delight yourself in the Lord, and what? He will give you the desires of your heart. And that word delight is the Hebrew word anag. And the word anug, it's a really a neat word. It means to treat as a delicacy. I could take a microphone and interview you all, and I'm sure you could acknowledge the fact that ever since about three days before Thanksgiving, you know well what it is to treat on delicacies. In fact, that's why you'll start on the treadmill January the 1st, and you'll stop about the middle of February, maybe. But the bottom line is, He wants us to reflect on his goodness and to treat that goodness as a delicacy. Wouldn't it be great if we spent the first of the year or the first of the month, the first of the week, or the first of every day delighting ourselves and now treating as a delicacy the goodness of God? And that's exactly what happens in the Rosh Hashanah celebration. It's a two-night affair. On the first night, After returning from the gathering of God's people in the synagogue, they will then eat delicacies of apples dipped in honey. They will then reflect on God's provision for them for the last year, and it is also a prayer for next year. And so they will pray, God, give us a sweet new year. Say that with me. God, give us a sweet new year. I think it would be appropriate if you today or this week sometime took some apples and a little bit of honey... And you invited people to dip that apple and to say, may God give us a sweet new year. Would you take a napkin, please? And would you take an apple if you are able to eat apples? 
And would you dip it in honey? I wanted to get C's candy, but Pastor Dale wouldn't let me give me the budget. And that's why you had uh, candies as you came in. It wasn't because you ate garlic before you got here. It was because we wanted you to be reminded of this. So if you'll all take out that little piece of candy that we gave you, would you also take that out and put that in your mouth? If you've already eaten it, that's fine. And would you say with me, everybody, may God give us a sweet new year. Go ahead and eat it. May God give us a sweet new year. But that's not all. They would say, may God give us a a sweet new year. But on the second night, they would now eat uh, all kinds of fruit. And as a prayer of thanksgiving, they would say, thank you, God, that you permitted us to live this past year. How many of you were alive this past year? Will you raise your hand? Uh, No, I asked the first service this morning, and only about two-thirds of them raised their hand. I I don't know how to do the math there, but I'll, I'll let you guys work that out. But let me just say this to you. If you don't think you have anything to be thankful for, then go to a public library and look up a book on all the viruses and diseases that you potentially could have gotten this last year. Well, let me ask this. How many of you have tuberculosis? Raise your hand. Wow. How many of you have N1N1? Don't raise your hand. We don't want to know. How many of you have polio? See, what a praise that you're not only alive, but there's a whole bunch of diseases you don't have. Thank you, God, for giving me life this year because we may not be here next year. Amen? And that brings us to our next point, that New Year's is a time for reflecting on the goodness of God. It's also a time for reflecting on the mercy of God. Go back to Leviticus chapter 23 with me. Are you guys with me? And this time I want to read from the New American Standard Version, verse 24. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 24. He says here, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. In other words, the Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, was to be celebrated with the blowing of the horn. That's why it's called the Feast of Trumpets. Now, what kind of trumpets is he talking about? Well, let me just tell you what he's not talking about. First of all, he's not talking about Donald Trump. He's not even talking about the ancient brass trumpets that you would see in your local museum here. Nor is he even talking about a modern kind of trumpet. He's most likely talking about the shofar. Let me show you what a shofar is. A shofar, of course, is a ram's horn. And this ram's horn was very important in Jewish culture again. It's a ram's horn, isn't it? All right? And this ram's horn was blown for a number of occasions and had a number of sounds. Sometimes it was to sound terrible. Sometimes it was to sound melodious and so forth. Sometimes it had a low note, a medium note, and a high note. Let's see what Josh can come up with. Very good. You came up with both. Excellent. Very good. All right. Now, you're going to come back and do that again. But let me just tell you that the shofar was blown a number of reasons. Uh, It was blown to assemble God's people, uh, to announce religious feasts and celebrations like Rosh Hashanah, to sound alarms in advance of a dramatic event like an advancing army, 
Even when you got married, just before you got married, the shofar was sounded. It was also uh, to lead a procession of God's people or to call you to repentance or a reminder of the ugliness of sin. You can imagine with that sound, they, re- they came out of that thing. And also a reminder of God's covenant promises and an appeal for mercy. But the most interesting one is that they blew the shofar to confuse Satan. You see, the Jewish rabbis of old taught that on Rosh Hashanah, on New Year's, Satan had a particular bent to go before the Lord and accuse God's people of sin. To say, will you look at how much your people sinned this last year? And they would blow the shofar as a reminder of Satan, don't forget God's mercy. What a great reminder, right? The mercy of God, not getting what I deserve. Somebody say amen. Now, I say all of that to say, look, there's no question in my mind and in your mind that we sinned this last year. Let me give you another bit of Jewish history. The ancient rabbis taught that on Rosh Hashanah, on the head of the year, the Lord opened three books. Book number one contained the names of the righteous. Book number three contained the list of those who were totally wicked. But there was a second book that contained a list of those who were neither totally righteous nor totally wicked. Kind of like the book of the lukewarm. I think it's appropriate for us to remember that God designed the head of the year not only as a day of delight, a time of reflecting, but also to be mindful of the fact of our lukewarmness throughout this past year. That important question That if Christianity were a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict me? If you looked at the timeline of my Christian life this last year, and if it had been illegal to be born again and holy, would I have been guilty of such an offense? Even the words of Jesus to the church of Laodicea, so familiar to all of us, needs to be thought about on New Year's Day and around that time. Look at me, if you will, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. Page 869 in your chair Bible there in the NIV version. Jesus says these words to the church there and to us. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Those last phrases, please, everybody. So be earnest and repent. You see, in Jewish culture... Rosh Hashanah has a number of other names, like the Feast of Trumpets and so forth, but one of the names is the Yom Hadem. The Yom Hadem means the day of judgment or the day of repentance. I like to call it the spiritual report card day. That, that time where you don't just go home and watch football, or yesterday I watched a rerun of uh, when the White Sox beat the Astros in 2005, After 88 years, it's about time, you guys. But I want to tell you, it was a neat game to watch. And yeah, it's okay to do that, but that's not all what New Year's is about. 
It's a time of reflection on the goodness of God and the mercies of God and taking inventory on my spiritual condition. How did you do last year, folks? When it comes to fellowship, doctrine, worship, service, evangelism, discipleship, and prayer, and etc., etc., etc. How did you do? Take some time with a piece of paper and reflect. And not only reflect, because Rosh Hashanah, New Year's, was also designed as not only a time of reflection, but secondly, in your outlines, a time for repenting. A time of repenting. Why? Because reflection without repentance is a hollow activity. It's empty. It's meaningless. To reflect on a whole year's indiscretions, a whole year's inconsistencies, a whole year's not quite doing what you wanted to do, so what? Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this, And do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? Do you think lightly of his forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? How many of you would acknowledge that God has been kind to you this year? Raise your hand. Then that's not just a time of celebration and acknowledgement, but should lead us to repentance. Who wouldn't want to serve better, love better, obey better a God who has been so kind to us this year? And reflecting on the goodness of God motivates us. In fact, that's exactly what Rosh Hashanah was designed for. Turn now to Numbers chapter 29. The fourth book of the Old Testament. Here the people of God are still in the wilderness now. Joshua has replaced Moses as leading the people. And God wants to give instructions about what to do on this first day of the seventh month, this Rosh Hashanah. And so in Numbers 29, verses 1 to 7, we read these words. On the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. It is a day for you to sound the trumpets. He'll go on to talk about then the aroma that's pleasing to the Lord as they prepare a burnt offering, as they prepare a grain offering, as all these offerings that are to be pleasing as an aroma to the Lord. And in verse 7, he says, And on the tenth day of this seventh month, hold a sacred assembly. You must deny yourselves and do no work. What's he saying here? He's saying you're not done with Rosh Hashanah. In fact, in Jewish culture, it just sets up a series of feasts and, and, and activities and celebrations. In particular, after Rosh Hashanah comes ten days, and then Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So Rosh Hashanah was a day of reflecting and a day of repenting, so much so that they called those ten days in between the first and the tenth the Yomim Narim, the, the, the awesome days. In some cultures, the Asherat Yomai Yeshuvah, the, the days of repentance. Now I want you to think about that, because in Jewish culture, you would start on January the 1st of their culture, which would be you know Tishri 1, and you would go to Tishri 10, to the 10th day of the new year, having listed out all your sins for the last year. Can you imagine? You know, I was raised in Catholicism. And as a young boy, I, I was an altar boy, and I would go to confession regularly and so forth. And I'd walk into the confessional and see the priest shrouded behind the, the little veil there. And I would say, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been... Two weeks since my last confession, and these are my sins. I remember when I was nine, one time going in with a two-page list. Nine years old, two pages. 
And he gave me, and those of you that came out of Catholicism know, I had two rosaries and a station to the cross to do for penance. I was exhausted. And we, you know, who are evangelicals now, who have trusted in Christ alone for our salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone, don't do that anymore, but maybe it would be wise to make a list. Not like God is some cosmic Santa Claus who's making a list and checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice, but, but so that we acknowledge the forgiveness and the grace of God made possible by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, so that we can celebrate forgiveness. 1 John 1, nine. read it with me, everybody. And take it to heart. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does the word all mean in the original Greek language? It means all. There's nothing that I did last year that can't be taken to the cross, that can't be forgiven, so that I can celebrate the fullness of Psalm 103. Read it with me, everybody. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. So we can reflect on the things that happened last year, and we can follow through in what I call the act of repentance, admitting it, confessing it, and turning from it. There's a tape series that uh, we make available for you. I think they all sold out in the last few, but we can make those available, as well as some other materials that are back there that helps uh, Jaron Ministries and Pastor Dale and I do other things and so forth. But I say all of that to remind you the importance of admitting the sin in our mind. The Greek word metanoeo, bring it to the front of the mind. Confessing the sin with our mouth, the Greek word homologeo. And thirdly, turning from the sin in our manner, the Greek word epistrepho. We need to do the act of repentance. Admit it, confess it, and turn from it. Everybody, admit it, confess it, and turn from it. That's why in Jewish culture today, they blow the shofar again. Josh, you with me? In fact, stand under there, because you look really good under there. You know, I'm going to bring you on the road with me, you know. This is... And then they would say, Naas benisma. We will listen and we will obey. Can you imagine taking a 2010 calendar, writing on January the 1st, I will listen and I will obey, and then drawing a line with an arrow through all the rest of the 364 days in that year. Wow. Everybody say it. I will listen to you, Lord. I will obey no matter what the cost. That's the essence of Rosh Hashanah. A time of reflecting, a time of repenting, but nonetheless, thirdly, a time of rejoicing. Would you turn, please, to Nehemiah chapter 8? If you can't find Nehemiah, just crack your Bible down the center. Hang a left, you'll get there. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 8. While you're turning there, let me remind you that Nehemiah was kind of the prime minister. Uh, yes, he was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes, the Medo-Persian king. 
but he was really the, the prime minister, the right-hand man. And as you remember, in 586 B.C. now, the temple had been destroyed. The people had then been brought into captivity, and they're now back because of the sensitivity of, of the Medo-Persian kings and so forth. And, and they allowed Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple, but they weren't able to rebuild the walls. And without walls, they were then subject to be destroyed again. So Nehemiah is very concerned, cries out to the Lord. It's on Rosh Hashanah that the people of God will then gather at the rebuilt temple that no longer has walls, remember. And Ezra the priest will stand on a high wooden platform and he will read the word of God from daybreak till noon. That's my kind of preacher. And the people are so responsive as as Ezra cries out, Amen, Amen. And, And they blow the shofars and he talks about the greatness of God. And the people lifted their hands and and they're so overwhelmed by the mercy of God because they should have been destroyed because of their sin that they get on their faces in the dirt. And they're saturating the dirt with their tears as they think back over their sin and the results of their sin. Oh, it's good to reflect. It's good to repent. But Nehemiah comes quickly. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Rosh Hashanah. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. The day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Say that. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. Why? Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Oh, if you get down what I'm teaching you today from the Word of God, it should not only result in reflecting and repenting, but great rejoicing to become a person of praise this year. In the midst of all the stuff the world is offering, the doom, the gloom, the pundits, I don't care if you're Fox News or CNN, it's all junk right now. It's all so miserable and depressing. You just want to suck your thumb and pray for the rapture. Instead of rejoicing in the truth of God's grace in our lives, that's why Jewish people even today when celebrating Rosh Hashanah will open up their Bibles to the book of Genesis, to the story of Abraham, and in particular to chapter 22 when Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son, but God provides a substitute in that ram. That's why they blow the ram's horn. That substitute in place of Isaac. Oh, don't miss this. Because the story of God's grace so prevalent in Abraham's life is also so evident in our lives because of one person, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why? Because all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord God laid on Yeshua, on Jesus, all of our sin, and he became the sin-bearing Savior. And that's why Paul the Apostle will write these simple words in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. How many of you are objects of God's grace and mercy and have trusted in Christ? Not religion, not church membership, not your baptism. All of you, raise your hands. 
and say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Do it. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And give the Lord a hand today. Rejoicing in the truth of God's grace. But then secondly, rejoicing in the hope that we have for the future. It's been my practice for a number of years, and I don't do it anymore, to go and on New Year's or about a week before New Year's to buy one of the National Enquirers or the Star or some of these other ridiculous magazines. Frankly, USA is not, today is not any better. I mean, they're all so miserable and depressing, aren't they? But all that to say this, I read them in all the predictions and so forth, but you know, I don't need to do that anymore. Uh, because I've got to tell you, you, you give me my Bible and, and lock me in a dungeon, I'll tell you what the world's doing out there. The bottom line is, the darker the night, the nearer the dawn. That is, the rougher it is down here, the sooner he's coming from up there. Do you believe that? Do you understand that there's nothing in this Bible I hold in my hand keeping the Lord Jesus Christ from coming back in 2010? Nothing. You read Matthew 24, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, and you better be ready for this sound. Josh, would you come, please? And you better listen. Because in the twinkling of an eye, you will hear that sound. And the dead in Christ will rise. And we who are alive will meet them as we meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever in his heaven. And it could happen That's why our Jewish friends will shout out on New Year's Eve, Lashing Tova Kativa Vikatima Tova. Uh, it's hard to translate in English. It, it, for a good year, you should be written and sealed in the good book. You can almost hear the accent. But another translation is, May you be inscribed and sealed for a good year. It's not that God has this bookshelf, but there is a symbolic Lamb's Book of Life in which those who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, not their good works, not their religious attendance, not their benevolent deeds, not their church membership, not their baptism, not the sacraments or the ordinances, but because of God's grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone, they have trusted in Him alone for their salvation, and they find themselves in the Lamb's Book of Life. And and that is the source of true and lasting hope. The only source... And that's why the Compass Church exists. That's why Campus Bible Church, way there and a few thousand miles from here in Fresno, exists. And 100,000 churches all over America, hundreds of thousands of them exist. To not only exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, but to recognize that when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him, he meant it. He is the only source that can give you peace that passes human comprehension. And if you have any questions about this, then please come to me, come to somebody today. Don't leave this place with that sense of hopelessness or that sense of a lack of peace in your life. I promise you that we will give you the answer, not from our opinion, not even from our experience, but from what this book says. This is the source of our truth. Amen? Amen. I don't have much time except to say this. I want to end with a poem. I don't like poems necessarily, and and this one has to do with resolutions, but, but but I like this one. Dear Master, for this coming year, just one request I bring. I do not pray for happiness or any earthly thing. 
I do not ask to understand the way thou leadest me, but this I ask, teach me to do the thing that pleaseth thee. I want to know thy guiding voice, to walk with thee each day. Dear Master, make me swift to hear and ready to obey. And thus the year I now begin, a happy year will be, if if I am seeking just to do the thing that pleaseth thee. I'm going to ask Josh once more to blow the shofar. And as he does, I want you to think of what New Year's is all about. It is a time of reflecting. It is a time of repenting. It is a time of rejoicing. I'm going to close first with the the New Year's greeting. He'll close then with the shofar. And then I'll say something. Lashana tova tekaten. May you have a good year. And the Bible says that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I say to you, this is the year that God has given you. We will stand and cheer that day. We will stand with a heart of reflection, a heart of repentance, and a heart of rejoicing. And God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. I'll see you again.